it was only my own brain that was putting a limitation on me. In my brain, who would take a lawyer who was also a weather presenter seriously? That was what my brain was offering me, that I would lose credibility as a lawyer. So the failure wouldn't necessarily be that I wasn't any good as a weather presenter. The failure would be I'd have thrown away my career because, you know, who would take me seriously? Most of us will feel proud to get to the top of our game in just one vocation. But imagine getting the leadership nailed down in two separate industries. That's exactly what this episode's guest has managed to achieve. I will be talking to Denise Nurse all about it. But first, a word from this show's sponsor. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this, or they will never go for this, or I'm not a good enough leader? The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. A mindset shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help leaders and organizations unlock their growth. Check out www.mindsetshift.co.uk for more information. Let's get into today's episode. During her career so far, she's been a presenter, she has been a lawyer, speaker, business coach, co-founded a number of different organizations. She's a mother, she's a wife, and that is just a couple of things that Denise has been involved in. But as always, podcast, I think it's important to get the backstory. So I start out by asking her what it was like with Denise as a lawyer working for a huge broadcasting institution such as Sky. As a young black female from East London, it was awesome. It was amazing. Sky is big in our family. My dad is a sports fan, so we had Sky Television with the satellite. And I started working for Sky back in 2001 when it was still a relatively newish company and concept you know paying for television what it was still quite a big deal and the premiership contract the premier league you know you've got to take yourself back to that moment in time when to get a job as a lawyer working for a company that creates media content is at the forefront of sports is a technology company it was like a dream it was all the things that I had wanted to do as a lawyer at that stage because I wanted to be an intellectual property lawyer and it was a mind opener that I could do that working inside a company so I'd started my career working for a traditional law firm in the city because I don't think this has changed much the path to being a lawyer looks can look very very straight and narrow and when especially when you're younger and especially when you are don't have lawyers in the family and you're not part of that network you know the best I had an understanding of was you can be a solicitor or you can be a barrister and even that was confusing I was still like what exactly do barristers do and that was after going to law school it can be like a bit of a closed world so to realize that there was space to be a lawyer And to also indulge in other passions or to be more fully rounded and work with other people was huge. And so working at Sky was fantastic. You know, I always tell this story that partly 
there is a definite thread of media and performance in my life alongside the justice. So partly I loved watching a program called LA Law, which is back in the 90s, which is about these, you know, sharp suited, quick witted lawyers who would solve problems and cases. But it had a female lead, Grace Denton, I think her name, the name of her character was. So it it was demonstrating strong female leadership. She was accomplished. She, you know, she helped her clients. She was successful. She was independent. And that really resonated with me as a career choice. I was brought up by my parents to get an education. See, I could be independent and look after myself and not be told what to do. But that appealed to me. Science wasn't my route. And then I liked English, you know, some of the traditional stuff. I liked English, I liked history. I liked the art subjects. But again, not having had anyone in my family who'd been to university before, I didn't have an understanding that I do now of the full experience of university and that I could maybe have done a different degree. So I was very much focused on the outcome of my degree. If I'm going to go off and spend three years studying, at the time I didn't have to pay course fees, as students do now, what will be the outcome? And I didn't have an understanding of what you do with an English degree. I didn't have an understanding of what you do with a history degree. I, I, you know, I genuinely didn't. As a young student, I was like, well, okay, so you study history for three more years and then what? How do you get a job with that? You know, the two things just didn't make sense to me. So to me, it was, well, you do a vocational degree, <laughs> law, medicine. And this wasn't because my parents were pressuring. It was my own logic. I was like, I don't really know. I don't know who, I don't know anyone who's done a history degree and then has a job other than being a teacher like what (laughs) and you know it's not now obviously now you know the full breadth and you can go and do anything but law seemed like the best option for that I was like ah well law I know people who studied law who aren't necessarily lawyers so even back then I was you know people I admired Nelson Mandela Gandhi you know these people studied law and then they were leaders and they did something so it felt like a very useful degree to have to understand the law and how it affects us to be able to articulate and stand up for yourself. It just felt logical and it felt like there was a job at the end of it as well, that it would be a career and I would be safe in some respects. I would have security once you've made it. I was also a bit naive, maybe not naive, but I was just kind of very directional. I was just like, well, if I've chosen this, I will become a lawyer. Like I didn't have any concept that that would not happen. So I was like, I would do a law degree, I will become a lawyer. And once you're in, you're in. I understood that much. Once you're in, once I'm qualified, that's it. So I've just got to get my head down. Six years later, I will be a lawyer. And that was my thought process. I see that as actually confidence in the sense that, you know what, I've made my mind up. I'm going to mm. do this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it happen. Mm. And there's, there's something around that, because especially nowadays where careers are so much shorter and you've got people in and out because you've got so much options. To be able to be like, actually, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to go after. I'm going to make it happen is a really powerful statement and you've actually made it happen and then some, you know what I mean? But I wonder how you go from having that sense and that confidence mm. to obviously then navigating through working in Sky and then you now move into the, the media mm. <laughs> presenting world, which are two very, very different worlds. Yes and no, they're two different worlds. One of the fascinating things about lawyers is a lot of them are actually quite creative and artistic. They're writers, they're performers, there's all these other skills that they have. (laughs) 
but they do what I've done and they choose a very what seems like a safe career and something they're very good at and so you can get a feeling of accomplishment and feeling good and not be in the less risk the more risky seeming world of being a creative and an artist so it's not as unusual as you think and I mentioned you know lawyers that I I had thought of that made me think are like you know like Nelson Mandela but there were also people like Jerry Springer, do you remember him? He used to be a lawyer, and Clive. Wait, what's his Jerry name? Springer, the TV. The was TV a lawyer. Has, yeah. I, I, I did not know that. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like what? Oh dear. So I, I remember that back in the day, thinking, "What exactly that? What you did a law degree, and then you ended up being a presenter." Clive Anderson as well, the presenter. He was a barrister. And now you have obviously people like Judge Reinder and others who marry the two. But point is, there are creatives out there, so it's not so strange. For me, though, it was because I have always liked to perform and dance. That's been my hobby since I was a child, since I was three. So I didn't do many other things. Wasn't great at the sports and netball and all those things. Not a fantastic musician, you know, did clarinet for a few years. But dance was my jab. That was my thing. I'd be at my classes, you know, twice a week. I'd be entering competitions. Like, you know, so two of my best friends are still girls, two girls I danced with from that age. You know, we had a beautiful time. And it's the thing I would, you know, finish school, go and we'd dance for three, four hours and practice. And so that has been something I've continued throughout my life. So it was always an outlet. It was always a counterbalance to the rigors of law. It was, it's creative, it's expressive, it's movement. And in doing that, I was involved in a youth charity aimed at helping young people age 11 to 21 get a more rounded experience in dance. So similar to the way that I felt like I didn't have a lot of knowledge about law, I thought for dancers, there were lots of these talented young dancers who could you know, naturally dance and were doing street dance and all stuff, but to give them an, a wider experience, so professional classes in professional studios, opportunities to dance on a stage um, and a professional theatre is something that myself and my co-founders of that organisation wanted to do. So I was doing that and I was doing that while I was doing law while I was working at Sky. So I was in the practice of performing and I would host some of the events and introduce people to that. So when Sky ran a competition looking for presenting talent, it wasn't so alien. But something I found the other day, which I'd forgotten, I was going through my paperwork. And for some reason, and for something in terms of leadership, one thing I would recommend is to invest in yourself. Something I really, really believe in. Backing yourself and investing in yourself. It's like somewhere you can't go wrong investing in your mind and your education, whatever that looks like. And for me, I started the job at Sky in 2001. I was finally like economically independent, moved out of my parents' home, bought my first house, you know. And then I decided to invest in myself and do something just for me. And I paid for a one day television presenting course. I had no intention of becoming a TV presenter at that time. I just was really interested in being better at what I was doing as a hobby and learning more of those skills and decided that that sounded like a fun thing to do and I would learn some useful skills. So I paid for this one day course. It was really good fun. And that was it. At the end of it, they were like, oh, you're going to try and be a presenter? I was like, no. That was in 2003. A year later, in 2004, Sky puts a poster up that says, can you cut it? Do you think you could be a presenter? And I was like, wow, 
well, I actually think I can. I've done a course. So... So I entered and the funny thing is that 10 of us made it through to the top 10 of that competition and four of us had all done that same course. It was it's an amazing course. Happy to put the details. I think they still run a, a fantastic a presenting coach. But yes, yeah, so that is how I ended up segueing from law into TV presenting. Wow. See, that's that confidence coming through again. Like, can he be like, yes, I can. I've done a one day course. I know what this is about. Why not? But... There's something around the... There's two things, actually, you just touched on, which is one, feed your curiosity. And actually, you might not have a long-term approach. I want to do this, but I want to find a bit more about this hobby. But you did that, and that actually opened up a door for you where a year later, you were to go out and do something, and in a sense, gave you that confidence to step into that. And to have the confidence to actually step into it as well, which... I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision because there'll have been a, actually if I go for this and I don't get it, or if I fail, all those kind of different things might come up for you. But you still went for it and you were able to make a successful career out of it. And were you still balancing law and presenting at the same time? Or were not, you just doing just Yeah, not initially. So in terms of yeah, the challenges, curiosity is actually one of my top of my five values. Curiosity, like be curious. That is something I think that will always help you when you come up against a challenge, when you come up against something difficult, when you're questioning yourself, just dropping your shoulders and, and tapping into your curiosity, I think can help you. But yes, yeah, so curiosity is what led me there. Entering the competition, I convinced myself. So another trick I use is to convince myself that it's not really a big deal. Like, I'm not going to win anyway. So this is just fun. So doing something. So another one of my values is adventure doing it for the hell of it just for the experience hey i probably won't win i didn't have a thing of winning i just thought this will be an experience i'll enter this and you know i think the first round you got to talk in front of a camera in a tv studio at sky well that sounds like fun i'll do that so i didn't go into it thinking oh i want a huge career i went into it more thinking this will be an, an adventure it'll be an experience i will learn something from it whatever when I actually came up the other end and was offered a job presenting the weather for Sky, that was more challenging because that was the other thing I think for leaders is being a decision maker. Lots of us, well, all of us, we're humans, sometimes find making decisions challenging and we'll procrastinate and prevaricate and do something else and not ever do the thing. And one of our jobs as leaders is to make decisions and then do the thing whatever's going to happen next. And so I had a decision to make then. I had my legal career, which was great. I was, by the way, having been in the legal department for a while, I'd worked my way up to the holy grail of working with the Sky Sports legal team. So I was part of Sky Sports legal. I had this amazing office. Finally, I started at Sky as like the most junior of the junior in the broom cupboard. Like they literally, you know, put a door on like the space between like a corridor or something. I don't know. I didn't have any windows. I know that. I just had like shelves of files, <laughs> you know, that's your job. And so to go from that to they'd refurb something and I had this glass office with a huge desk and a meeting room tables that people, you know, I was like, I made it. You made it, yeah. That's, that's where you want to be at. <laughs> this is my vision of LA Law. Look, check me out. I sit here, the Sky Sports team are in front of me. They come to me for advice. And here I am being offered to go off and become a weather presenter. What? <laughs> So that was a challenge to think, what should I do? Curiosity led me to think, well, I know what it's like to be a lawyer. I know I can do this because I'm here doing it. 
I don't know whether I can do the other thing or so I'm curious about that. What would make this work for me? My safety net at the time was knowing that I could go back to my legal job. I was like, well, I have a mortgage now. I can't afford to just throw my legal career away and become a junior presenter. So what do I do? I discussed it with my parents. I was in my late 20s, but still go in and check with the parents. <laughs> I was single at the time. And um, so, you know, a, a partner that I had to discuss it with. And I discussed it with my boss. And lo and behold, they offered me a secondment. So the answer was delivered to me in that you can do both. Go and do TV for six months and you can come back to your legal job. So the decision was made as far as I was concerned. Why would I not? Claim the question, why would I not? What was there to lose other than the, the fear of embarrassment standing on TV talking about the weather in front of the nation? Apart from that, <laughs> nothing to lose. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's how I decided that. So for a while I was exclusively doing TV and for the first time in my life, I was not practicing law, which was a huge change. And something I recommend, not leave your job and become a TV presenter, but take yourself out of your comfort zone and try yourself doing something new. Just because it gives you a different perspective on who you are, what your skills are and how you can use them in different settings. Sometimes we get so comfortable or so used to us seeing ourselves in one facet, we think that's all we are. And I found that a really useful moment in my life to see beyond the kind of limits I'd set for myself with the career path I was going to be on and really interesting. One thing I find when I work with a lot of leaders is their titles become a comfort zone for them is they want to do something else, but it's, I can't step past lead CEO or managing director or that kind of stuff, because I don't know that world, number one, but if I do that, what if I fail? And those, that fear and that insecurity stops them. And then just what you just described right now, it's, I'm a lawyer. That's what I wanted to do from when I was a young age. I got myself to the prestige, the nice office, the nice positions, nice salary, all of that. But now I'm going to step outside of being a lawyer to become a TV presenter. Like, How did you step outside of your, your comfort zone and push past that fear and effectively to showcase a growth mindset? Yeah, good question. There was the curiosity element. I created a safety net. I remind, and the safety net ultimately is backing yourself. You know, the title or the skill set that you have doesn't go anywhere. If you are the CEO, whatever job title you have, you know, it's not attached to that title. It's what you do. So the fact I was a lawyer wasn't going anywhere. And what I realized is it was only my own brain that was putting a limitation on me. In my brain, who would take a lawyer who was also a weather presenter seriously? That was what my brain was offering me, that. I would lose credibility as a lawyer. So the failure wouldn't necessarily be that I wasn't any good as a weather presenter. The failure would be I'd have thrown away my career because, you know, who would take me seriously and who would instruct me if I ever wanted to go back, that would be over. So you play that through and you say it out loud and you think, really? Because what's changed with all my legal knowledge? It hasn't disappeared because I go and do something else. It's still there. (laughs) So... I tested the water and you talk to people about it. And actually what I met was fascination rather than 
repulsion. So yeah, actually what I learned from that situation was people were much more curious because it was something new. It opened doors and conversations that I would never have had. When you say I'm a solicitor, everyone has an, a, a judgment. Not everyone, people do have a judgment and an assumption about what that means about you. Some people do revere you. And I had got used to that. I have to admit it. You know, you walk into a room, you say you're a lawyer. Everyone thinks, oh, you must be clever. You know, oh, you must be accomplished. They don't know anything about you. They just know that you somehow you've managed to get this title. And sometimes that led to more conversation. And sometimes it leads people to stand back a bit because I think they have an image of what a solicitor is. A solicitor is a weather presenter is like just cognitive dissonance. <laughs> you know, what? These two things cannot be existing at the same time. And so it opens up to a more human conversation. People are curious. You talk about different things. It was actually a benefit. But I only knew that in terms of how you overcome that challenge was to take steps, take one step at a time. The steps for me were to talk about it, to get out of my own head and to have conversation. Having my parents say, hey, if that's what you want to do, do it, was helpful. Hey, if they'd have said no, would I not do it? I don't know, but it was helpful. I have supportive parents. They very much trust me. <laughs> well, I trust myself sometimes that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> they back me. Having supportive friends and colleagues to talk to and to bounce the idea off them, they also were very supportive. So I was, I always say that helped, having supportive people around me. Not that that should ever stop you if people don't support you. But that was my experience. I had support. And ultimately, it was an addition. When I looked at it as an addition rather than a subtraction, that was what was of benefit. What does this, how does this add value to me rather than thinking about what I would lose, think about what I would gain? I love that reframing. That's a really, really good way of, of looking at things a lot of times is actually rather than what am I going to lose, it's actually how does this contribute and give me an even more to build on rather than subtracting anything away from it. What was the main differences actually between presenting and being a lawyer, being on TV? What was that main differences that you can pull out of it? Because you had both of them. The main difference, Chopin, was so delicious. It was really delicious. Presenting was about being present and it was very much about being in the moment. My experience of lawyering is it never leaves you. You have your client and your case, whatever that is. And I was a contracts lawyer. So you're either digging into the past to find information or whatever, but then you draft the contract and then you don't go to sleep at night because you're worried about whether you've put all the right clauses in. <laughs> And then everyone signs it and they're happy and you're still thinking, I hope it's all right. Am I going to get a call in a year? Because ultimately something, if there's a challenge, then everyone comes back to the contract and whatever area of law you're in. The thing with law is, and medicine and many other, and lots of vocations, but particularly with law for me, you are dealing with people at a critical point in their life, something really important for them. For you, it's important, but you have your caseload. But you think about it, a property transaction, someone's buying a house, it's their home. This is not just another file on your desk. This for them might be the one time they do that or it's a critical moment, their whole family's moving. If you're representing someone in a criminal case or in a civil litigation, you know, it's not just another case, this is their livelihood. This is something really important. This is something that's gone wrong. This is a personal injury. 
this is critical for them. So it carries a kind of a, a huge weight of responsibility in that sense. And so it doesn't leave you. So you find a lot of lawyers get quite stressed and burnt out because that takes mind management to, to work with that. Then presenting, I was a weather presenter. I had to get up at four in the morning. That was new. I had to be on air at 6 a.m., between 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. I had to speak live to the nation and my job was to communicate the weather for the four nations, you know, in sometimes as little as 30 seconds, sometimes as much as four minutes. So it was an important job and it means something to people. But when you're done, you're done. And the weather's gone. I forecast the weather and then it's gone. It, that's it. I, I literally would walk out of the studio light as a feather. Like, oh, <laughs> there's no more consequence. <laughs> <laughs> Get the rest of your day ahead of you onto the next one tomorrow. <laughs> and while I say that as if it's fact, the truth is, it's my thinking that created that difference in my behaviour, which I learned after a while. It's like, what is really going on here? I've decided that this is less consequential and it's all, you know, it's okay. And now I leave here light as a feather. Wow. Because I've never experienced that before, I didn't know it was a thing that could exist. Having experienced it, I was like, oh, you can live life like this? What? <laughs> That's allowed. I have a job, I earn money, I do something important, and yet I don't have to leave with the weight of the world on my shoulders every day. That was a huge moment for me to understand that. So that was what I, I would consider the major difference. And then what I wanted to do after that was integrate that presence back into my legal career. until you try it's an old saying once you try new things you never know and you being able to step outside your comfort zone into that new world actually gave you a new way of of living and understanding that actually I can do something different I can live my life differently I don't necessarily need to have that weight and there's a way that I can approach with my legal career that can make a difference to my emotional capacity and all that kind of stuff. But you only discovered that because you're willing to step outside of, of your comfort zone, feed your curiosity and do something different. Absolutely. And I would say to that, I'm not saying to do that, you need to go and get another job and another career. The point was I was doing it voluntarily. There is always scope. There is no reason for you not to do this, to find some other way of experiencing life differently to how your kind of your main nine to five is it's worth it i think just to explore a different way of doing things are you still a morning person am i still a morning person no <laughs> i have an eight-year-old so i'm a forced morning person i used to be a morning person until i had children and now i just i'm a i don't sleep enough person so <laughs> Grab sleep whenever. <laughs> Mornings are my little bit of sanctuary because once you're up, you're up. So yeah, not 4am anymore. So you went from weather to sky travel to Halesbury, which is the, the law firm that you co-founded. Why did you um, go back into law and actually not just go back, but you created something that was brand new with your co-founder? What was your inspiration behind that? I felt unfinished with law. It was a surprise to me. Having described to you that kind of feeling of relief and lightness, you know, you'd think, well, why would you ever go back? This is brilliant. And I was building a career as a presenter. I had regular work. 
I got the gig as a presenter for Escape to the Country for the BBC. So I had, you know, I had an agent, I had regular work. But, or and, I missed law. I like solving problems and I like helping people. And with all of that lightness and free time, my brain had lots of time to think <laughs> and come up with new things. And I discovered that that was actually something I really liked doing. I wasn't doing it because I had to, because I had to pay the mortgage. It was actually something I really enjoyed. But I, what I had the time to consider is, what do I enjoy? And how could I do more of that? So co-founding the law firm was about creating an environment for lawyers to work in a way that suited them rather than in a way that is perceived you should work. So law is very traditional. It's very much pegged on working to the hourly rate and how many hours you've done of work and how much schmoozing and networking you've done to get clients. It's, it's really traditional. And that can be quite a burden for some people if that doesn't suit you. And what I'd experience is the idea that you could do the bits of law that worked for you in the way that worked for you and help your clients and all the other stuff was irrelevant. So focusing on the outcome is how I like to work. Like what's the result we're trying to create here? The how, we'll figure that out. But what's the result we want to create? And that's what my co-founder was interested in as well. Like, how can we create a work environment that suits us? Now, Sky was lovely and maybe I would have stayed there forever. But once I stepped away from it, the issue there is that it's one job working for one client and there's only one leader. There's only one general counsel top of it. And so if you're competitive, which lots of lawyers are, there's only going to be one top spot. <laughs> in our model, everyone was their own top spot because you were focused on making your career work for you and being the leader of your client work, but yet working in a collaborative network. So that just seemed seemed very enticing to me. And I thought, well, if it works for me, it works for others. Also, I wanted the flexibility to carry on being a presenter. So I want to be able to do both. Traditional law firms and businesses wouldn't didn't see how that would work. And I suppose crucially, from a business perspective, there were lawyers, and there still are, leaving the profession in droves at a certain point in their career because of the inflexibility. <laughs> so these super talented people with all this experience would leave when they have children or would leave because they want to do something else and their career doesn't allow that, the restrictions. But yet they were the same. They loved law. So we were like, well, let's give them a platform. So the first thing we did is get them to create the plan of what how they want to work. And then we would be the advocate and champion finding those roles for them and explaining to clients the benefits of having someone, guess what, work from home and work flexibly. And explaining that back in 2007 was an uphill struggle. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine because when I think about even now, conversations around flexible working, around hybrid working and the back and forth and the battle it still is, even the change we've had over the last 15 months with the pandemic, with a lot of organisations, but like, you need to create something that's flexible for your people. I can only imagine what it was like in 2007, trying to explain that concept to organisations and be like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what lawyers do. Like, yeah, why, why, why are you trying to do that? Yeah, it, all of that, it was okay, interesting, but it won't work for us because 
you know, our team all has to be on site together. All the team that are here all the time don't work like that. So it will be unfair to have a contractor come in who gets that benefit when they don't. You're like, hmm, so why can the contractor work like this, but your team can't? Maybe you want to look at how your team works, but that's another conversation. But what always made the difference is when they required the flexibility themselves. So often our clients, I mean, some of our clients just didn't have the scope to have full-time lawyers in terms of financial costs. So they actually wanted someone part-time. So it would be, well, you can have someone part-time, but hey, you can have someone super experienced and the only ask they have is, can they work from home one day a week? And they'll do the other two days in the office. And, you know, when you focus on, well, what is it you want? You really need help here. You have a two, three month period where you need some help. You need a really good lawyer and you need to get this done. You're going to get all of that. All you have to do is let them work from home once a week. <laughs> but you had to really work with them to see the benefit and the outcome. And as time developed, there were more clients willing to give it a go. There were lots that were, but there were more willing to try. And then the results spoke for themselves. So our team became embedded in many of the cultures, they became quasi parts of other um, teams because they were able to do the work and feel part of the team as well. And this is the thing people couldn't get their heads around. Well, how is this possible? If they're never in the office, how do you connect? How do you communicate? How will they know what to do? How will they pick up the nuances? And that did take a lot of handholding and convincing to just try. <laughs> just try. Let's just see what happens here. And then when you get the result, it's like, oh, it works. And that was that's the journey. So that, that's how help we came about. Something that's super unique about that model was that actually you got the lawyers to create what that flexible work pattern looked like. Did they find it hard to do that initially? Because if you're stepping out of the traditional way of working and then all of a sudden you've been told, why don't you create what you want and we'll, we'll make it work around you? That's always, there's always that pushback. Like, mm, I'm not sure about this myself. I know what I would like, but can I really do this? How will this work? So how did the lawyers actually find it from that perspective? Yeah, that you're absolutely right, Shippy. That was one of the challenges, one of the, I suppose, unexpected challenges. And I suppose it's what led me on the journey to where I am now as a coach, because back then that's what we were doing unknowingly is coaching clients I mean they would come to us because the messaging seemed appealing oh opportunity to work flexibly that sounds great then you sit down with them and then talk about what does that really mean and as you say I'm not going to say to you here this is what it looks like I'm going to do the opposite and so what we would do is actually spend time just talking to them at first tell me about your life where do you live what's your family life what do you like to do we get that full picture of who are you like at this moment in time what's important to you what are your priorities? What do you like about being a lawyer? What kind of work do you like to do? What kind of clients do you like to work with? So there's a lot of focus on just getting them to drop into that space of what excites and ignites them. And then we would work from there. Oh, okay. So you told me you like working with media companies. You've told me you like doing this. You told me ideally you take your children to school. And often it's quite, it wasn't that flexible that what they were looking for. They'd be like, I'm fine. It's just one day a week and a Friday. I don't have an au pair or I don't have a nanny and I'd really love to, On or one day a week, I love to be able to take my children to school and the rest of the time, you know, everything's catered for. I just need that one day and that's it. Sometimes it really wasn't that wild. <laughs> Others would be like, actually, you know, I can only work two or three days, but there was always flexibility and we would map that out. What good looks like is what we would call it. What does good look like? But if this all worked, 
what would your life look like? And then we would work backwards from there. Okay, okay I'm not saying I can click a finger and tomorrow that's what your world will look like. But now we know that's where we're going. That's what we'll work towards. Now we have a, a destination point. Our focus is on getting you there. So now when I represent you and I find you a role, I will position it so that's what the client also knows that's where you want to get to. If you're flexible as well, and at the beginning you might work five days a week in the office so they get the comfort that you know what's going on and you know them and you've got to know everything, but we'll limit it to four weeks. So can you do that for a month? Can you get childcare for that one month while you embed yourself? And then after that, we'll have it actually built in that you can move down to the flexible model. Now, it was just conversation. <laughs> Cannot get over how little people have conversation and listen and seek understanding and how that is still quite a precious thing in the corporate world. <laughs> it really is. And doing that for both sides, equally for the clients, we would focus on, we would listen. What is your concern? They won't be embedded. They won't know how to use the system. We've got security. You know, just listen. What is it you're worried about? Okay, let's work through each of those obstacles. Security. Okay, well, if we do this, how do you work when you're working on something challenging? And the deal's got to get done. Well, yes, I do work from home then. Oh, okay. <laughs> How do you do that? What security do you put in place then? Well, we do this. Okay, do you reckon we could do that here? I guess so. Possibly. Do you know, and it's just helping people to just slow down a moment and think through what they're coming up with as the obstacles and they're making it work. So that was the job, really. We were a law firm, but really our job was more about human communication. That's the foundation of everything, isn't it? It's same people as as humans and like you said if you can listen to learn listen to understand rather than listen to respond it makes such a huge difference because then you can really see okay this is what's going on for this person this is what they really want and these are the potential obstacles they see but actually are those real obstacles or is that just because they're not used to doing something different and therefore if it's not they're not used to doing something different what can we do to help them to see things from a different perspective and trial it to see what works or what doesn't. And that's how you get the flexibility in. And that's the beauty of it. Like you said, it comes out to human connection. That's the fundamental root that people forget. <laughs> it's just like, we are humans. You want them to be understood. And then we can then start to work from somewhere. And we kind of said to just skip past that. Let's just go to, no, we're not going to do that. And that is the beauty of the work that we do now, right, Chobe? Yeah. Like the, the coaching work. I feel it's a similar journey to where I was with Halbury in 2007. So back then, being a consultant lawyer was not revered. You see what I mean? It's like, oh, are you a partner in a law firm? You know, if you're a certain age, you've been a lawyer for a certain time, why aren't you a partner? That's the question. Or, you know, what role, like you said, what title do you have in the company you work for? Are you the, you know, the general counsel, the head legal head of legal of whatever department you know what title have you achieved if you were a consultant who was working with multiple clients oh the initial question used to be what's wrong with you could you not hack it why didn't you get a partnership why are you floating around that was the perception and what we were working on is and i think we succeeded in was making it a credible career path this is not something you do because you can't do the other things it's something you do out of choice and there are benefits that come with people who can do that. They take that knowledge to several different businesses. They have that more rounded experience. They have a different skill set. They're not involved in the day-to-day -day politics. So they come with a clean mind and a fresh perspective to your team. And they, so there are all these different things. And I feel like coaching now is in a similar space that not everyone knows what it is. 
and there's an, an uncertainty of is it what is this are you credible where does this go but once you if you understand it the ability to help people understand themselves and see things from different perspectives and get the courage to try and to know that failure is not a failure is something that was so important for the progress of humanity, for the progress of the people. So we need more people doing this work. We need more people receiving this work, not less. It needs to be championed more. And that's where I feel, that's where I feel I'm at now. Great. Mm. <laughs> That's what it is. There's a we talk about like innovation means get growth and all of that comes from people who have disrupted industries, who have pushed past the boundaries, who have gone past that fear because they've chosen to and they've they've had the people around them to either support them to help them to get past those initial inhibitions that they might have. Like I said, that's what we do as coaches. So whether we're working with leaders, organizations, or just individuals or founders, it's all the same thing of helping them to see things completely differently. And, 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 and now is the moment, in a way, because our education system is not set up this way. Our education system has done the opposite. It's taught you. So, there's, you know, the Carol Dweck work of the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. You know, that work, I feel as if we are moving ever more into the growth mindset understanding. So the idea that you get better results because you're, you're rewarded for failing, not for getting A's all the time, but for the process and the effort you put in, which helps you to grow and develop and become stronger rather than just saying you're, you've done well because you naturally are good at getting an A. So if someone just is very good at learning their times tables and, you know, just naturally is good at maths and gets an A. And then there's another kid who's had to work every night, practicing, practicing, practicing to get that same, to get the B. It's not that one is more valuable than the other, but for the individual, the one who got the B but put in all that hard work would have developed a whole extra set of skills in resilience, in learning, in challenging and getting comfortable with not getting the A, but knowing for themselves that they know how to learn, that they know how to back themselves. And what our culture and our education system has created a whole lot of people who feel their value comes from their title or the ability to get that A and not from the value of the hard work and the effort and the learning and the failing. So the work that we do to help people with the growth mindset is the start of that change. And so that means we've got a whole world, because the education system is pretty similar, <laughs> of people to help re-educate. You know, it's education. It's a re-education of how we think and how we do things. I 100% agree. It's being able to help people to actually, even if I got a lower grade, there's still something I can take from that. There's still a lot of learning I got from that. And it's also moving away from even a comparison because it's like, I'm not good enough because I did not get an A. It's actually, okay, you did not get an A and that sucks. But actually, I might work my butt off and only got a B in that particular area. But in me doing that, what did I learn? What did I go through? How did I experience it? What was my learning pattern like? All those kind of different things you can actually utilize as perspective that then helps you to get better. What we do, naturally speaking, is, oh, God, B, I'm not good enough. And then you now go down the negative path rather than looking at it from a completely different role. But that's why we are, and why we do it as, as coaches, like you said. Just two questions I have is, number one, what is, how do you define leadership? Because you've been a leader, 
You've worked in several organizations, you've worked in several industries. So how do you define the term leadership? Good question. So I don't have like a definition that I could say, oh, I'm going to read off to you my definition. But these are the traits that I think are important um, that a, a leader has. You inspire others to act. And so anyone is a leader from that perspective. Because if by your being and the way you are, you inspire other people to act, that is leadership. By the way you you move through the world, you create a model for others to follow, you become a leader if you have followers. And so leadership doesn't come from a title and it doesn't come from telling other people what to do. I don't think that's leadership. I think that's management or something, telling people what to do. If they're doing it begrudgingly, they're doing it because they have to, because they're doing it from fear. I don't think that's leadership. I think if they're inspired to act and to take steps, that is leadership. And then I think leaders, as I've said, make decisions. So leaders are willing to make decisions in the full knowledge it may be perceived as not the right decision in the future. And then they're able to reflect on that and go again, even if they got it wrong. Reflect and go again, reflect and go again. But the reflection is important. Not the dogged, I was right, but the moment of maybe I wasn't, what did I learn? But I'm willing to pick myself up and go again. And I think true leadership requires that. Very, very good traits. Mm-hmm. mentioned you have five values mentioned to you so far Mm. what are the three courage (laughs) courage is another one which moves to that being the one willing to make the decision you know being the one willing to take that next step being the one willing to say the thing that no one else wants to say being the one willing to challenge the status quo being the one willing to ask a question So, for example, in a meeting, we've all been in those meetings. You're sitting there and thinking, what the hell's going on here? I don't know what anyone's talking about. I thought we were here to talk about X and all I'm hearing is a lot of noise. And yet no one's saying anything. That drives me crazy. Actually, it drives me crazy. You know, I have to be the person going, I'm sorry. Have I missed something? I thought we were talking about this. Can we come back to this point? Or do you know? But we've all been there and you think, that was waffle. (laughs) <laughs> what was an hour's worth of what? Where are we? Where did we go with that? I don't understand. <laughs> and I can't. I can't bear doing that and coming out and then having that conversation outside of the meeting. I was like, we were in yep. the room. Say it in the room. <laughs> Say it then. But that takes courage because you have to get past the fact that sometimes you do that. And I have been there when there's tumbleweed, when everyone looks at you like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you speaking? Or you, get, or you get shut down or you get shut down yeah. get made to look like you're stupid like you don't know what you're talking about oh no 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 I think you'll find we have covered everything oh no 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 you know and you get all of that we've all been there but courage to do that kindness being kind I find being kind to myself is one of the hardest challenges I think and not in an overt way like I'm you know I go and have my star days and I treat myself and all that stuff um, but being aware of the little voices that say negative things about yourself that are looking for the negative rather than celebrating the positive so being kind to 
yourself, I think is important. And then extending kindness. And by kindness, I mean grace in a way to others, I find is a, a more peaceful way for me to get through the world. So if I look to something that I don't like and I try and look at it from a perspective of grace or kindness, it kind of just takes some of the anxiety out of me as much as it it, it benefits someone else with the grace. So for example, my maternal grandfather, you know, for many years didn't we didn't have a close relationship for no particular reason. He was very much part of the family, but he really didn't we didn't have a grandfather, granddaughter relationship for most of his life. But I choose to view that with kindness and that he is doing the best that he could for who he is and what his upbringing in rather than take it as some personal reflection on me and extending that kindness to him extends kindness to me it means for me I was able to move through the world with less angst about it then so that's my kindness and the last one so I'd already mentioned curiosity and adventure and the last one is connection doing this brings me joy connecting, having a good conversation. One of my favourite things used to be in the days when we could travel. You know, I'm a Londoner. I love London and I, I like the tube. It gets you everywhere. It connects you. You can get from one end of London to the other, you know, so easily. And lots of people have issues with it and the time. I'm about to say, well. I, those, those are words I never hear of. I love the tube. Exactly. No, no nobody loves the tube. I love the tube. And even when it's packed, my brain goes to, wow, I wonder what all the stories are of these people. Everyone on this train, has, this carriage has got some story. They're going somewhere. Something happened to them this morning. There's someone they need to be. There's someone that they love. There's someone they had an argument with. There's some challenge. That, like, this is fascinating. Like, might I just like to sit and wonder about it. I love that. I love that connection. I love hearing people's stories. I love reminding myself that there's much more. People are so rich in their in their humanity that you can't really get forward, can you? So that connection is important to me. Throughout your career, I can see them all projected and really, really strongly in, in different ways. And you can tell that that's, that's how you live, that's how you operate. And there's a statement that you made, which I found very interesting outside of this, which is, you can have it all. And normally speaking, it's, you can't have it all. That's what the statement is. So can you break that down? Yeah, absolutely. Because that is the the, the thing, isn't it? You can't have it all. Or you can have it all, but not at the same time. Or you can have it all, but. And so I challenge that. Why can't you? Like, what is it? I mean, the question becomes, really, once you get past the can, can't and the limitations, then you can really get curious about what you really want. That I can't have it all is very limiting. So you're putting a blocker on it. But actually, when you get past that and you go, you can have it all. The question is, what is it all? What do you want? And that is challenging for many people. As you touched on before, when we were talking about how being the lawyers, getting people to connect with what they actually want. It's more challenging than you think. People always say what they don't want. I don't want to do this. I don't want to work for someone like that. I don't want this. What do you want? What is having it all? And the more you get into that, trust me, ultimately, people are usually looking for love, peace, free. They're looking for emotions and feelings, not stuff. You can have all the stuff, but why you want the stuff is to get all of those things. 
So you can have it all because you can have all of that anytime. And then you can do, and from that place, you can then create the life that you want having it all, whatever that is. So in my case, having it all, what does it mean? Well, it means waking up and doing work that I love. I like to work. I do like to work. I know that about myself. I like to have something to focus on, something to create, people to work with. I love being a family person. I love spending time with my family. I like taking my son to school. I like doing charity work and helping others. I like to dance. Those are the things that make me happy that are having it all. So create my life so I can do that. That's it. It's not rocket science it's just a different perspective. But allow yourself to think about what having it all means and then allow yourself to believe that that is possible. That's a perfect space to actually finish, to be honest, because when you talk about having it all and actually understanding what that means for you, that really, really resonates. And what's the best place people can find out more about you, about your coaching work, they can work with you? Yeah, really simple, denisenurse.com. So you can check out my website and there's contact form there and um, happy to have an initial chat with anyone. I like working with mission-driven leaders. So someone who, whatever capacity you're working in, but who wants to make an impact and change the world in some way through your work. I like working with you to help you do that to the best of your abilities because the idea that helping one helps many others really appeals to me. So, so I love doing that work, but happy to have a chat with anyone. Um, Black Founders Hub is the nonprofit that I co-founded with David McQueen and Rashid Abdullah. That is for black founders of professional services, businesses who want to get to six and seven figure turnover. We're very passionate about helping each other and our communities be bigger, be bolder, in our endeavors more courageous again, more courageous <laughs> more adventurous more connected more kind to ourselves and more curious about how far we go when we allow ourselves to go that far you can also check out blackfalvershub.com if you want to know more about that it's been an absolute pleasure i love having conversations with authentic people and it's great to be able to share that with other people so thank you so much for coming on yeah my pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of everyday leadership You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time everyday leadership. <laughs>